Fantasy Baseball Today, presented by Lining Kugels. More on their great variety of beverages later on in the podcast. July 23rd, Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White here to get you ready for week 18. We'll talk some two-star pitchers. We have the prospect report. We'll recap Thursday's action and much more. But first, I have a question for you, Scott, that I've never asked. Are you ready? Oh, I asked you one of those before we started the podcast, but we don't need to get into that again. No, no, we don't. Maybe maybe <laughs> another day. Are you still emotionally invested in the Braves? Do you get mad or frustrated at bad losses? Does that affect you? No, not not really. Not often. No, I I really I kind of have a 10,000 foot view or 30,000 foot view of baseball, however many thousands of feet the expression is where, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't put too much emphasis on any one game. Um, it's really, it's really more about this, the season long trend. I'm not explaining it very well. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I feel like that is the better way to enjoy baseball. I, I, it's the more realistic way to enjoy baseball because like who has three hours to devote to your favorite team? every night not even i do and you know my job is centered on baseball it's all about baseball so i feel like the only people who can commit that time to their favorite team are children or retirees and i'm neither and most people listening are neither and so you know i i i feel like if 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 baseball if, if that was more widely understood, maybe baseball would be more popular where, yeah, most of the time you are just checking the box scores. You are just checking the standings. You are just checking the leaderboards. Um, I think fantasy, playing fantasy baseball, watching individual players' stats tick up every night uh, helps with that. It helps you enjoy it without having to um, invest so much in the, in the day-to-day and the nitty-gritty. So, you know, I, I, th- I think I think it works out uh, being able to play fantasy baseball. But no, no, I, I would say that, you know, even even when they have a because the Braves probably aren't going to the playoffs. Let's be honest. It's it's late July and they're under 500 still by one game, I believe. But. OK, I mean, they still got a good nucleus next year. They'll try again. They just won like three division titles in a row. They almost went to the World Series last year. It's just like, whatever. You know, I've, I've lived a long time and they've only won one championship. So it's just like, I can't get that upset about <laughs> about them not winning a championship, you know? Yeah, and I mean, people are going to think this is so ridiculous, right? Because I'm a Yankee fan. I'm spoiled, whatever. I've seen all these championships. I haven't really, though. I've, I only have recognition of one in my adult life, and that was 2009. I wish I could be like that, man. For all of my sports fandom, Yankees, Jets, Knicks, I am just so emotionally invested, and it is just, it is so draining, Scott. I I need (laughs) to get to a level where I'm like you, because the Yankees' loss tonight on Thursday night when we're recording this, 
it was brutal. They suck, man. I am, <laughs> I'm so done with them. Like this season is such a roller coaster of emotion. They win a couple of games. They string together these wins with like Greg Allen in the outfield and stuff. And then I get hyped and man, it's well. Just, see, I, I feel like the Yan- being a Yankees fan, it's it's the toughest for that. It's it's the toughest emotionally because, because the you expectations feel like you, are yeah. always so high and like anything short of a championship is considered a, a failure. When of course. You're often you're much more often than not going to fall short of the championship because there are 29 other teams competing for it, you know? So it's just like I, I feel like winning the championship as a Yankees fan would be more like a sense of relief than anything else. Yeah. And that just seems like a miserable existence. Oh man, they suck, dude. I I would like it was it would have been such a great win. Chad Green, he just he blows these saves in like the biggest spots too. It's just, it's so frustrating, but I'm sure people don't care about that. Uh, if you have any ways to help with my fandom and, and not care about my teams as much, please tweet at me or email in because I need all the help that I can get. We had a trade on Thursday and we did have an emergency podcast with Chris and myself reacting to said trade. Nelson Cruz was shipped on over to the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for two pitching prospects, Joe Ryan and Drew Strotman. I hope I'm saying your name correctly, but Scott, I wanted to get your reaction first and foremost. Nelson Cruz is awesome. I don't think it really matters where he plays, but do you have any yeah, thoughts? On Seattle, Nelson Baltimore, Minnesota has yeah. been the same guy. Uh, 41 years old, he's sitting more often. And you know, I might have a slight worry that happens even more with the Rays because they, they like to mix up their lineup so much. I do wonder if this could lead to Austin Meadows sitting more against lefties because Meadows had been playing primarily DH. His splits aren't good against lefties. Maybe Brandon Lau also sitting more against lefties. So it could maybe hurt them unless you're just thinking purely on batting average. But... You know, there's certainly like Taylor Walls. He's been playing shortstop less and less since Wander Franco got up. Now, got called up. Now, he's a great defender, Walls. He earns a lot of war just on his defense. So I don't know if the Rays would totally sideline him, but if they do, then there's certainly room for everybody else in the lineup. Franco playing shortstop every day, Lau moving back to second base every day, Metis to the outfield, etc. I was surprised they got a prospect as good as Joe. Ross, Joe or, Ryan. I'm sorry, Joe Ryan. Yep. Back for 41 year old Cruz. He's only signed through this year and can, you know, pretty much NL teams were off the table because he's a DH. So less competition for him. But, you know, Joe, Ro- uh, Joe, I keep wanting to call him Joe Ross. Joe Ryan is like a curious prospect because the numbers have been phenomenal the last two minor league seasons. Uh, two years ago, he had a 196 ERA. Between three levels. This year, the ERA is up 363, but a 0.79 whip because he like walks nobody and, you know, 12 strikeouts per nine, like a ton of strikeouts, but doesn't really rank high on any prospect list. Not a top 100 guy because it's pretty much just the fastball. He's got a really good fastball uh, that misses a lot of bats, but they're minor league bats. And will that play at the major league level? Probably in the bullpen it will, but does he really have a future as a starter? I have my doubts. But he's he's among people who follow prospects closely. Joe Ryan is a name. And um, getting traded probably gives him a better chance of being called up, being tried out here at the end of this season. He's already 25 years old. Fangraphs does give Joe Ryan a 50-grade curveball, which 
is not great, but it is a secondary offering. So I, I think it's a good point that you bring up. The numbers just in themselves are great. 75 strikeouts, over 57 innings pitched at AAA this season for Joe Ryan, but that's as somebody who just turned 25 years old in the beginning of June. So he is a little bit older to be p- pitching at AAA. I think we probably see him at some point this season. He's 3% rostered. I recommended you could stash him in AL only for now, and I think once he gets called up, he'll probably be on our radar for 15-team leagues, deep leagues like that. So just a name to remember there, Joe Ryan. Nelson Cruz, by the way, he is currently the 57th-ranked player in 5x5 Roto and averaging 3.1 fantasy points per game at 41 years old. So he is awesome, and I think that he's going to continue to be just that in Tampa Bay. All right, let's talk a little bit about what else happened on Thursday. Oh, my good goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, I should have been listening to the radio to see... Uh, what John and Susan were saying about that loss. Sheesh. <laughs> enough, enough. I'm just, Scott, before we got on this call, I was like, I was really, really frustrated. But once you came on, you actually cheered me up a little bit. So thank you. I appreciate that. I'm uh, a cheerful guy. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I've never seen you frustrated. So I don't even know what an angry Scott White looks like. Oh, wow. Well, no, there was. Well, you've never worked with me in an office setting, let's just say. There was one day that something. I'm sure Chris has seen me frustrated. <laughs> there was one day you came on here and you were. There was something that really ticked you off. I think it was that play at first base with the Pirates and Javier Baez, and, and you went on like a whole rant. But anyway, let, yeah. let's talk about Thursday's action. Who's your, who's your yeah, oh my goodness gracious player from Thursday? Oh, fr- frustration. How frustration can you get? How frustrated can you get about a baseball play? Anyway, uh, <laughs> Kwang Hyun Kim is my oh my goodness gracious player of the day. Had turned in another great start, two earned runs in six innings with seven strikeouts. And that gives him a total of three earned runs, a total of three earned runs over his past five starts. With the last four of those five all going six innings or more. Great stretch like that. His season ERA is suddenly down to 288. His whip is 117. He's looking like... A very curious case because he was doing these sorts of things last year too. It was easy to dismiss all small sample size. The thing is he doesn't strike out many batters. He's just a modest ground ball pitcher. It's not like he get, has an extremely high ground ball rate. And usually you need one of those two things or, or at least premium control, which he doesn't really have either. And yet he keeps delivering these low ERAs. So the XFIP, of course, it's again this year, it's not very good. 454 is what it estimates his ERA should be. Uh, his XERA is better, but it's still high threes. Uh, but Kwang Hyun Kim sitting there with a 288 ERA. And at this point, I just, I got to think he's a unicorn, you know, just kind of like Kyle Hendricks. Like there's no reason this guy should be this good, but every once in a while, Somebody comes along who is so good at at uh, inducing weak contact that he just kind of breaks the normal indicators. Because you know now we're talking about twenty four appearances, twenty three starts in his career. Uh, that was actually coming into this one, two forty five ERA in his career, Kwang and Kim. So you know, especially now that he's going six innings with consistency, because he wasn't doing that earlier in the year. But now that it's happened four starts in a row. Got to think Kwang Hyun Kim is a mixed leg asset, as difficult as it is to confess. Yeah, I mean, specifically with players like this, with pitchers like this, it's usually guys that induce 
soft contact that can kind of overperform uh, their their underlying numbers. So, yeah, Kwang Hyun Kim seems to be a player like that. He's 69% rostered. Looks like he is scheduled to face the Cleveland Indians next week on the road. They are 25th in weighted on base average against left-handed pitching. So, pretty good matchup there for Kim. And I was... Uh, I did want to compare him to a few other pitchers okay. that, that pitched well on Thursday that are under 70% rostered. Jordan Montgomery, five and two-thirds shutout against the Red Sox. He had six strikeouts. He's 68% rostered. And then Adbert Alzali, quality start, six innings, three runs, eight strikeouts, pretty good there. And I noticed he's using a new cutter 20% of the time over his last three starts. He's 54% rostered and a two-start pitcher next week. How would you rank those three? Kim, Montgomery, and Alzali. I would go Montgomery number one. Came through even in, in a matchup against the Red Sox, and he's pretty steady. He's pretty stable. Rest of season or next week alone? I think for the two starts, I go Alzali over Kim. But rest of season, I, I think I'm at this point favoring Kim to Alzali. All right, yeah, I, I'm I'm all right with that. Jordan Montgomery at Tampa Bay next week. They are 26th in weighted on base average versus left-handed pitching, but they are going to have Nelson Cruz in that lineup, so. Makes it a little bit more dangerous, of course, against left-handed pitching. So, for me, oh my goodness gracious, I am going to go with Blake Snell, who went six-plus innings against the Miami Marlins. Three hits, one run, eight strikeouts, 11 swinging strikes on 92 pitches. And his fastball, I noticed, was down one mile per hour in this one. His slider was down like two and a half miles per hour. So, you don't like to see that. It's only his second quality start in 18 tries this season. Scott, I just wonder... After a start like this, based on the name value, can we can we trade him? Can we trade him for anything following a start like this? Or are people sharp enough to realize it was the Miami Marlins? I uh, I think it was the Miami Marlins. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I I don't know. Can you trade him because of he's Blake Snell and he won the Cy Young in 2018 with a sub two ERA and he's had great whiffs in the past. I, I mean, maybe. Maybe somebody was just asking me if they should accept a trade of Snell for Anthony Rendon. And I don't know where I fall on that because I don't know how much time Anthony Rendon's going to miss. And obviously he wasn't doing anything before the injury himself. So it's, you know, I'm not sure you could do much better than that for Snell, but maybe you could. You know, I I don't like that his velocity, despite the success in this start, his velocity was down 1.1 on the fastball, 2.4 on the slider. Didn't get that many whiffs, 11 on 92 pitches. That's certainly not Blake Snell-like. And, of course, this was only his third six-inning start of the season. So we know he doesn't go deep into games. That's been a long-standing issue. I'm surprised he's as rostered as he is, which maybe suggests that you could get something for him in a trade after this start. Yeah, I think it's... You shouldn't view it this way at this point in the season, but people still hold on to draft capital and think, all right, I spent a fourth or fifth round pick, whatever it was, on Blake Snell, and they just don't want to let go. But, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. He's been mostly bad for the entire season. Uh, 92% rostered is Blake Snell. I say try. It doesn't hurt. Shop him around. See what you can do after this one. I just updated my my starting pitcher ranks on Thursday. Did, like, a massive overhaul. And I lowered him to SP62 in points leagues, mostly because he just doesn't give you volume. And SP52 in Roto, just because I think the strikeouts are still going to be there, so that helps a little bit. But 
Man, I am uh, not very excited about Blake Snell. Last question on him, Scott. Two starts next week versus Oakland and versus Colorado. Both are at home where Snell has a 1.43 ERA this season. Would you feel okay starting him in that spot? Maybe in a points league, but I I actually switched it when I went through these for the two-star pitcher rankings. I think it's going to be Chris Paddock who lines up for those two starts instead. Um, So it may end up being a moot point. All right, so I don't know who that one start would be. It would either be Oakland or Colorado. Obviously, the Rockies in San Diego would be much more favorable than having to face Oakland. So, yeah, it would be the Rockies if if Pat. Wait a second. Would it? No, it would be Oakland. Ooh, well, it would be Oakland. That is not nearly as good. All right, so we'll play it by ear here with uh, with Blake's. Now, I did want to highlight some other awesome pitching performances from Thursday, and one that is just kind of concluding right now. Sean Manaya up against the Marlins. Seven innings, three hits, one run, 13 strikeouts. 21 swinging strikes on 106 pitches for Sean Manaya in this one. The ERA down to 3.16. The whip, 1.19. Whip's a little bit high this year, but I noticed he's given up a lot of hits this season, which I don't, I don't know the cause for that. But uh, yeah, the ERA is still really good. Strikeouts have been up over a strikeout per inning this year. Just... Amazing performance here, Scott, from Sean Manaya. Yeah, I don't think he's unlocked anything new with this start in terms of, oh, now he's going to be this monster strikeout pitcher. Uh, I think it was just a especially good start. He did have an 11 strikeout effort like five turns ago. Uh, but, you know, he's had a great year, obviously. Basically a must-start pitcher. And, uh, yeah, not, not sure what else to say. Sean Manaya is good. He did it again. Hashtag Oops, he did good. it again. That's right. Sean Manaya, he did it again. Charlie Morton and Walker Bueller. Just want to highlight those guys. Charlie Morton gave us a quality start. Six innings, two runs, eight strikeouts. His last seven starts, he has a 2.40 ERA with a 14% swinging strike rate. Walker Bueller up against the Giants. Seven innings, one run, nine strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 95 pitches. At least six innings pitched in 19 of 20 starts this season for Walker Bueller. Hold myself accountable. I was wrong about Walker Bueller coming into the season. And even as recently as a month ago, six weeks ago, I said I would take Aaron Nola over Walker Bueller. Not true. Walker Bueller has been awesome. So, Well, yeah, I think... Um, and by the way, I was, I was probably the loudest critic of Walker Bueller of anyone who covers fantasy baseball. So I don't know that you need to keep so much blame on yourself. I mean... For whatever reason, the uh, Dodgers chose this year of all years to to completely change the way they use him, and he's been as consistent an innings eater as any pitcher in baseball. When he didn't have, or, or he had what one six inning start last year, and this year he's had one sub six inning start. So yeah. complete turnaround. Who saw that coming? But anyway, prior to this start, entering today's action. Walker Bueller was the top scoring pitcher in points leagues of all pitchers. Walker Bueller, number one. So that goes to show you uh, just just how many innings he's been piling up. Yeah, I moved him up to seventh in my starting pitcher ranks, and deservedly so. Walker Bueller has been great. Last one I want to highlight here wasn't a great start, but I think he's back. I think Kenta Maeda is back. Up against the Angels, seven innings, seven hits, three runs, zero walks. 
six strikeouts in this one. His lone mistake was a three-run homer that he gave up to their nine-hitter, of all people. It was Jack Mayfield. But last four starts for Kent Maeda, a 2.35 ERA, 31 strikeouts to four walks, over 23 innings pitched. I feel good, Scott. He's giving up a lot less hard contact. The control has been much better. It looks like he's getting more of that slider, the splitter. I think Kent Maeda might be back. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, the the main thing that seemed off early this year was the splitter. It just it just seemed like it wasn't wasn't its usual effective usual level of effectiveness. Certainly not compared to last year, and that has turned around during this impressive stretch. This impressive what is it for? Well, in the month of June, he's allowed six total earned runs with well more than a strikeout per inning. Now. The previous two starts, I believe, they were both five innings, so that's still an issue. He did go seven in this one. Uh, he had a six-inning start at the start of July. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the splitter's back. I think Kinta Maid is back to being a trustworthy starter. And so you were saying, you know, at this point in the season, where you drafted a player doesn't matter. I would say that's true, but you still see you, you still see it rewarded sometimes. You're seeing it rewarded with Kinta Maeda if you held on to him which I didn't in one league. I traded him for nickels on the dollar. And you're seeing it rewarded with Dominic Smith, who I know you and Chris talked about yesterday. Not as clear whether that's just a hot streak for Smith or a full-fledged turnaround, at least not in my mind. But Come Dominic, on, Smith, Come Dominic on, Smith's July. <laughs> Dominic Smith's July looks an awful lot like his 2020. Yes. <laughs> I'm hoping. I'm hoping this is for real with Dominic Smith. Before we hit the news and notes... This is the final week. We are finalists for the sports category of the People's Choice Podcast Awards. We appreciate all that you do for us, and we hope you enjoy our show enough to nominate us to advance to the final round. To nominate Fantasy Baseball today, go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up, and then toggle down the sports category. We've included the link at the top of the episode description as well. And CBS Sports and Westinghouse are teaming up to give away a 55-inch portable 55-inch TV, not a portable TV, a 55-inch TV, a portable power station, and an air purifier over the next, what do we got here? Seven, eight days. Go to cbsports.com slash home run, H-O-M-E-R-U-N, to enter. The link is in the episode description as well. The contest ends on July 31st, so we are just eight days away from there. That's cbsports.com slash home run. No purchase necessary. Must be 18 or older and reside in the United States. News and notes. Mookie Betts remains day-to-day with that hip injury, but a stint on the injured list remains a possibility. I hope that does not happen because Mookie Betts was actually heating up. So not great there. Jacob deGrom threw off flat ground at City Field on Thursday. The team recently said that he would not throw until the forearm tightness dissipated. So some good news from Jacob deGrom. Let's take it easy. Don't rush him back. Mike Trout ran the bases on Thursday and participated in outfield drills and also took some batting swings. There's still no word on a rehab assignment. This has taken longer than expected, Scott. So I don't really know if there was like some setback at some point that they just didn't tell us or it was just really that bad of a calf injury. But this is weird. I mean, it sounded pretty bad. It's been beyond... It's been beyond eight weeks now, right? The the six to eight week timetable that was initially presented. Yeah, it has to be because this happened back in May, right? Yeah. And supposedly, 
I, I heard someone say once that every injury has a six to eight week timetable. So <laughs> surprised that this one has exceeded that. According to the Elias Sports Bureau, for, with Fernando Tatis Jr.'s stolen base on Thursday, he became the fastest player in terms of games to reach 50 career home runs and 50 career steals since 1898 when modern steal rules were <laughs> adopted. Fernando Tatis is pretty good. Pretty, so basically pretty ever. Good. Yes. In history. Yeah. Uh, no one was alive to remember the other guy. Yeah. he's. That's great. Fernando <laughs> Tatis, who knew? Uh, Chris Bryant has sat out two straight games with a hamstring injury, or maybe they're just trying to keep him healthy before they trade him away. Jose Ramirez was back in the lineup after sitting out two straight with that elbow soreness. Jack Flaherty threw his second bullpen session on Thursday. Manager Mike Schilt told reporters that Flaherty's next step will be facing live hitters, though he deferred providing further detail until Friday. Nick Castellanos could be sidelined for a couple of weeks, according to John Morosi of MLB Network. Castellanos was diagnosed with a microfracture in his right wrist. And Scott, you weren't on the podcast yesterday to react to this. Do you have any thoughts? This <laughs> sounds like it could be pretty bad for Nick Castellanos. Yeah, it was weird when it was reported yesterday on Twitter. It sounded like Castellanos was just saying he needs a couple more days, not a couple more weeks. And I was like, okay. Microfracture? Yeah. I mean, that's not a full fracture. And what do I know? The report said that he feels 50%, but he only needed a few more days to rest up. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. Which I don't know. I wasn't about to second guess it, but it sounded weird to me because when I first saw a oh, microfracture in the wrist, holy cow. So apparently it is more of a holy cow thing, which sucks. Yeah. We did it have really it. really sucks. We had a Yankees news dump on Thursday. Aaron Judge could be ready to rejoin the team this weekend and potentially return from the COVID IL early next week. Luis Severino is scheduled to throw a live batting practice session this weekend and could begin a minor league rehab assignment by the middle of next week. He suffered a grade two groin strain in mid-June during his first rehab assignment. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton will see time in the outfield in the coming weeks, which means injuries could be coming, Scott. I'm, <laughs> I'm uh. just saying... Stanton has mostly managed to stay healthy this year. One IL stint, and he's been fine. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't been great. He hasn't been like Stanton of old or anything. But playing yeah. in the outfield, that definitely opens up the possibility of more injuries. So you know where they're going? That he needs to play the outfield if if he's going to stay in the lineup. They're going to Miami. Ooh, revenge coming. Homecoming for Mike. It's probably the first time he's gonna. Actually, I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm making <laughs> stuff up. Jazz Chisholm is expected to begin a rehab assignment in the near future and could return during the Marlins' upcoming homestand that begins July 30th. Mitch Garver was placed on the paternity list, which Scott is very excited about. I, I've never been, I've never been more excited for anybody <laughs> being placed on the paternity list than Mitch Garver, which, you know, obviously the bun was in the oven before the incident, clearly. <laughs> Uh, but I'm I'm glad to hear a bun was in the oven just because I don't I don't know the state of things down there. I don't know. We've been we've been we've been denied certain details on what exactly went on with Mitch Garver's nether region. But I'm glad glad he's on the paternity list. I'm happy to hear it for him. We're happy for That's you, right. Mitch Garver. Hope you're listening. We had some reinstatements on Thursday. Austin Nola returned and was batting seventh in the Padres lineup. I will find out what he did in that game. Justin Upton returned for the Angels, was batting third. He 
finished finished over four with a strikeout. Odubel Herrera returned and was batting sixth for the Phillies. He finished one for two with a walk and an RBI. Austin Nola went over three with two strikeouts. So that's not great. And just like that. The Yerminator is back. Your mean Mercedes reported to the AAA ballpark on Thursday following a retirement post on Instagram, which Chris and I talked about on yesterday's podcast. So, yeah, I'm happy to see him back. I mean, I didn't want to presume too much. It would have been crass to say so at the time because you don't know if something's seriously going on with this guy in his personal life or whatever. Mm -hmm. But my suspicion was it was just venting. That was my suspicion, and that appears to be the case. All right, the prospect report, and before we actually talk about the players that Scott wrote about in his article, actually, I didn't look at the top of your article. Maybe you wrote about Reed Detmers at well, as well, Scott, but I nah. did want to highlight that he was promoted to AAA by the Los Angeles Angels. He is their top pitching prospect, and in AA this season, Detmers had a 3.50 ERA, 1.17 whip, 97 strikeouts, in 54 innings pitched. Again, 97 to 54. That's a lot more strikeouts than innings pitched. He was their first round pick in last year's draft back in 2020. I think there's a chance that we see Reed Detmers here, Scott, in the second half of the season. I agree. There's a chance. I considered him for my five on the verge, which is the section of the prospect port report every week where I talk about the five prospects most worth stashing in redraft leagues, which doesn't necessarily mean they're the five closest, just they're the five most worth stashing, both because of how good they are and how soon they might arrive. Um, and so I, you know, there's been a lot of a lot of changes, a lot of a lot of spots have opened up here recently in that five on the verge. Duran could finally clear them off. Kelnick could clear them off again. Uh, Bruhan, I thought I was going to be able to clear him off, but he ended up back in there. So it was hard to fill out the five. I almost went with I almost went with Reed Det- Detmers for that fifth spot, but I instead went with Josh Lowe of the Rays. I believe it's Lowe and not Lau because I believe he's Nate's brother and not uh, Brandon's. Yes, you are correct. A lot of Lows and Laus, and <laughs> it was kind of awkward because they traded away his brother, but he remains in the organization. Josh Lowe. That is correct. Uh, Speaking of those five, the five on the verge, according to Scott's latest prospect report, which you can find on the site, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Bobby Witt, who has recently been promoted to AAA himself. Joe Adele, Edward Cabrera, Vidal Brujan, and Josh Lowe. I do think Bobby Witt and Edward Cabrera are the top hitting and pitching prospects, respectively, that we that are have the closest proximity or I guess the biggest impact prospects that could be called up in the near future. Um, I did want to ask you just about these Tampa Bay guys, Scott, because with Bruhan getting sent down yesterday and now with this trade of Nelson Cruz, it kind of muddles things a little bit more here where I just don't know if we're going to have a spot for Josh Lowe unless they want to put him in center field, but it seems like they value Kevin Kiermaier's defense there. Uh, and then just with Bruhan, are you holding him anywhere after he got sent down again? So specifically for True. those two raised guys. True. I guess, I mean, those are good points. And maybe if I was rewriting the column today, I would not go with Bruhan and Lowe for those final two spots. But the bottom line is, I think there are really only three prospects left that I expect 
or, or at least have hope, will make a fantasy-relevant contribution this year. And those three prospects are Bobby Witt, Edward Cabrera, and, and Joe Adele, who I do. I want to point out, Joe Adele, in the month of July, his strikeout rate is below 25%. So oh, wow. we've finally seen some improvement there for an extended stretch. And maybe that that will finally put him on uh, on the path to getting called up. But, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion for any of them. Witt might not get called up, even though he started out at AAA 5 for 11. Or, yeah, 5 for 11 with a home run is how Bobby Witt started off at AAA. So, you know, if he a couple weeks of that, he might get called up. And, and certainly, he's, he's probably the last prospect left that if he got called up, there would be a race to the waiver wire to pick him up. I think Edward Cabrera has probably the strongest chance of getting called up of those three. But his first start at AAA didn't go so well. So we'll see. The five prospects on the periphery, these are prospects that are further away, but they're doing something of note recently. Jordan Belazovich, he is a starting pitcher with the Minnesota Twins. Justin Foscue, a second baseman with the Rangers. Aurelvis Martinez is a shortstop with Toronto. By the way, it feels like there's a different Blue Jays prospect on this list every single week, so they probably just have like a really fun farm system. MJ Melendez is a catcher with the Royals, and Jose Miranda, a third baseman with the Twins. Scott, anything you would highlight, like to highlight on this group of five? Belasevich, he was sidelined by a back injury at the start of the year, and it seemed like he it took him a while to, to get back to form. It took him a few starts, but he's really turned things on at double A, and his strikeout rate is back up. His caper nine's back up to around 12. You know, he had a breakthrough year in 2019 where he became a borderline top 100 guy. I, I think he's probably not long for double A, and once he gets moved up to triple A, particularly if if the Twins were to trade off somebody like Rios. And I, I, guess, I haven't heard as much about Kenta Maeda, but I guess that would be a possibility as well. Twins might have some rotation openings, and it's n- not unthinkable Belasevich could fill one, though I would guess Joe Ryan is probably ahead of him in the pecking order now. There you go. Prospect report. You can find Scott's article on the site. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to get you ready for Week 18 next on Fantasy Baseball Today. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. The Week 18 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Lining Kugels. And let's get things started, as we always do, with the two start pitchers for next week. Scott, who are some names that you are looking at that interest you? So, uh, I will point out first, even though they can't be picked up on waivers, John Means versus Miami and at Detroit. First start back from the IL wasn't so good. 
uh, but we talked about it then when we were talking about that start the other day, that those matchups are too enticing to pass up, probably even in categories, leagues. So roll with John Means. Hope he turns it around this time. I mean, the Marlins made Blake Snell look good, Scott. So That's true. Now, the Tigers have been hot. They're yeah. on a winning streak, but still, I mean, I don't really think they have a great offense. So among pitchers who might actually be available, Brad Keller, I like a lot. Three straight quality starts, and I, I think he's fixed himself mechanically. I mean, he came in with such a good track record, being an extreme ground ball pitcher, keeping the ERA low. And uh, ERA is still near six this season because he was so messed up early on, but I, I think he's fixed now. I hope he's fixed because they're actually pretty tough matchups, White Sox and Blue Jays. Uh, but he's 29% rostered. Michael Pineda, I'm less confident he's fixed. He's had issues with the elbow dating back to June. But he looked better in his last start, and he gets the Tigers and the Cardinals. Both of those are good matchups. Kyle Muller of the Braves. Can't be sure he's going to go even five innings, but good, good, uh, good swing and miss stuff. And he gets the Mets and the Brewers. Those are two favorable matchups. Austin Gomber, he gave up three home runs in his first start back from the IL earlier this week, but it was in Colorado, and he looked fine otherwise. Two starts on the road this week. Angels, Padres, not great matchups, but they're on the road. And uh, Adbert Alzali, who's, you know, hit or miss, but he had a quality start here on Thursday, and I think it's specifically in points leagues. It's probably worth, probably worth the gamble. Yeah, it's a good point about the points leagues because uh, Alzali prone to giving up home runs. He's given up exactly two home runs in five of his last six starts. So could be prone to the long ball quality start on Thursday. Using a new cutter about 20% of the time over his last three starts. So I do want to see where Adbert Alzali goes with that pitch. How about some... Uh, I I think also Alec Manoa. I knew there was another two-star pitcher I wanted to point out. Alec Manoa took a tumble down the dugout stairs and wound up on the IL, but it sounds like he's going to be ready for Monday. Check back uh, at the end of the weekend and see, but he would line up for two starts if he is, and one of those starts would be against the Royals. Yeah, I believe it's Red Sox and Royals, so one yep. really good matchup, one pretty bad matchup. Single start streamers, Scott, that you're looking at for next week. Who you got? Uh, so there are a couple of pretty interesting ones here. Alex Cobb who has had a very strong month so far and had strong peripherals all season long. The XFIP looks great. Ground balls, missing bats. Gets the Rockies. He gets the Rockies not in Coors Field. So that's a cupcake matchup right there. Jamison Tyone, he's also gotten his season on track after a bumpy ride early on. He's at Miami. So Jamison Tyone seems like a good call. If you have to go deeper than that, you know, it gets less exciting. It definitely gets less exciting. But Jake Odorizzi's at Seattle and, of course, has the Astros lineup backing him. Uh, I got Zach Thompson on here against the Yankees, uh, mostly just because I like Zach Thompson. Tukey Toussaint against the Brewers. Obviously, he looked good in his previous start, but, you know, you're putting a lot of faith in that from a pitcher who doesn't, hasn't, doesn't have a, much of a track record. Uh, we, we mentioned Kwong Hyun Kim earlier going against Cleveland. So uh, any of those would be fine, but the ones I'm most excited about are Alex Cobb and Jamison Tyone. Yeah, Alex Cobb, we've talked a ton about recently, spoke about him on yesterday's podcast with Chris as well. I think there's 
a good amount to like there, and obviously a nice matchup against the Rockies, who are going to be on the road in that one. All right, Scott, some sleeper hitters that are rostered in less than 75% of CBS leagues. Joey Votto. I'm just going to keep saying it until until that roster rate goes up. And the Reds are facing nothing but right-handers this week, at least as it stands down. Nothing but righties in seven games, so that's going to benefit Votto as well. Splits, as you'd expect, better against righties. Uh, the Tigers have favorable matchups. Also a seven-game week for them. So Robbie Grossman, who's having a big July. And really, in, in leagues that reward OBP over batting average, I I feel like Robbie Grossman should be must-start at this point. Uh, I saw an interesting stat the other day from, uh, what's the account? Prospects365, which I believe his name is Ray Butler. Does yes. that sound right? Yep. Prospects365 is the Twitter account. And uh, hitters with at least 15 home runs, 10 stolen bases, and an OBP of 350 or higher so far this season. Fernando Tatis, Trey Turner, Ronald Acuna, Cedric Mullins, Shohei Otani, and Robbie Grossman. That's incredible. By the way, yep. Robbie Grossman has a 470 OBP in the month of July alone. So, he's hot. Yep. Yep. And I also like Akil Badu. Akil Badu who's I've been slow to come around on after the early fake out uh, cut way down on the strikeouts, but was kind of selling out for contact. Suddenly that's changed here. He's three home runs in his last seven games or so. So the power's coming back for Akil Badu. And again, good matchups for the Tigers. Dominic Smith talked about him earlier. The Mets are playing eight games. So I think it's time to get him active again. Jock Peterson, the Braves are the other team playing eight games. Those those two have a doubleheader on Monday. And seven of the eight matchups are against right-handers. So that should benefit him. Uh, the Red Sox are scheduled to face five left-handers. That's good news for both Hunter Renfro and Enrique Hernandez, who's very hot. So they're both on this list. And there are a couple more names, but I got to give you a reason to click on the article. So I'll I'll... I'll leave it at that. You had to bring up Enrique Hernandez, Scott. Really? Why? He's the one who hit the two-run double in the ninth inning against the Yankees. (laughs) Uh, Sent shivers down my spine hearing his name. Uh, But that does bring me to one lineup question that I had about a very popular prospect that we've picked up recently in Jaron Duran, who is clearly sitting against lefties. And I respect Alex Cora as a manager. I'm saying that truthfully, not being facetious. But Jaron Duran... He's sitting against lefties. They're scheduled to face at least five of them next week. Do you bench Jaron Duran everywhere? I think so. I think so. I, I'd i be surprised if he didn't make his first start or two against a lefty when there's that many in such close proximity. And of course, by the end of the weekend, they may not be lining up to face five lefties anymore. I doubt it would go from five to one, but you know, things get shuffled around very quickly. Uh, probable pitchers do. So, Keep that in mind. But yeah, if, if if they're if they're facing three, four, five lefties, you probably sit Duran. And if Alex Cora or anybody in the Red Sox organization is listening to this podcast, Jaron Duran was awesome against lefties this year in the minors. So just letting you know, 321 batting average with a 954 OPS. So keep that in mind. I think we could get him a few starts here against left-handed pitching. The best hitter matchups, Scott already mentioned some of them. The White Sox, the Phillies, the Tigers, the Twins, and the Blue Jays. I did just want to point out, with the Tigers, 
Eric Haas hit his 15th home run on Thursday. He's 52% rostered if you need a catcher. Some really nice matchups there. And if you are very desperate in deeper leagues, five outfielder leagues, Victor Reyes had a sock and a shoe on Thursday. That's his second home run and his third steal of the season. Deep leagues. He's 2% rostered. Uh, He plays for the Tigers as well. The worst hitter matchups for Week 18, the Giants, the Astros, the Cleveland Indians, the Royals, and the Padres. So there you have it. The Week 18 Pitcher and Hitter Planners presented by Line and Kugels. And I'm headed out to Coney Island on Friday. I'll be grabbing a few Line and Kugels Summer Shandies beforehand. The perfect blend of crisp lemonade and refreshing beer. Perfect on a warm evening, warm summer evening. Enjoy some baseball. Enjoy the weather with a Line and Kugels Summer Shandy in your hand. And the Summer Shandy isn't all they offer. They also have their Session Hellas, which has all the flavor of a crisp German-style beer, and it's only 99 calories. And if you're into IPAs, Line and Kugels has their Lemon Haze IPA, a well-balanced hazy IPA that blends hops with delicious lemonade. So no matter what type of beverage you are craving, Line and Kugels has you covered. Just head on over to liney.com. That's L-E-I-N-I-E.com or follow Line and Kugels on Instagram or Facebook for more information about all the delicious beers that they brew. Let's talk about a few hitters that we just haven't really talked about in a while that did something notable on Thursday. And Dansby Swanson hit a grand slam. It was his 17th home run of the season. However, his season is just been masked got 234 batting average 741 OPS the BABIP is down this year which correlates with the line drive rate which is down five to six percentage points from where it's been each of the past two seasons what do you think about Dansby Swanson I mean do you have to hold him everywhere what do you think no I don't think you do I think in leagues without a middle infield spot he's pretty fringy and you probably know that by now mm-hmm. he keeps having these stretches where he gets insanely hot like he had one just earlier this month he had a uh what was it he had a a eight game stretch where he hit 394 with three home runs and five doubles and it's like all right he's coming around finally but then you know he cools off he, uh, he had one hit in four games leading up to Thursday here. So it still wouldn't surprise me if he sustained a hot stretch long enough to get that batting average up to 250, 260, and suddenly the overall numbers look pretty good. I mean, he does have 16 home runs, six steals. That's not nothing. But it's certainly not what you hoped for. Isaiah kiner Falefa is betting just 155 in the month of July. He's still 80% rostered, which is very high. Um, he has 15 steals on the season, so obviously a huge contributor in that category if you do play in categories leagues, but the OPS all the way down below 650 at this point in the season, Scott. Kiner Falefa, 80% rostered? What should that number be? Uh, less than that. I, I think maybe like 60%, 55%. You know, it's hard to turn him loose in, in a roto league because there's so many roster spots to fill, but also because... So few players can impact the stolen base category like he can. But yeah, I mean, he's definitely, definitely lost the shine he had earlier this year and not as confident in his case that he's going to get it back. Dylan Carlson went three for four with two doubles and a home run on Thursday. It was his ninth homer of the season. He was having an awful July. Scott, what have you seen from Dylan Carlson this year? I kind of liked him. Actually, I, I liked him. I had him in my breakout article, so I, I definitely was on him. He's still 81% rostered, so much like Kiner Falefa, I feel like that's too high. 
Yeah, it is. It's much too high. I'm surprised, frankly, because I don't even know. I wouldn't even say he's in less than five outfielder leagues. I mean, he hasn't stolen a single base. That was part. We were hoping that would be part of his profile in the majors. This, you know, a, a moderate base dealer. He's contributed nothing in that category, and and the power production hasn't been very good either. Um, yeah, you know, strikeout rate is fine. It doesn't seem like he has launch angle problems. I uh, just doesn't seem like he's squaring up the ball enough to 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 be an impactful power bat. Only 22 years old and you know I I think it it feels like and I I don't really have an explanation for why or I can't really say if it's going to continue but it feels like as we've talked about over and over that we're entering a stretch in baseball history where young players have a more difficult time breaking in, which has been true for at other points in baseball history, uh, but coming off a stretch of 10 years or so where that wasn't the case, where uh, these guys would transition so easily for the most part and become stud contributors right away. It kind of uh, leads us to judge Carlson more harshly than maybe we should. Very young. Still a chance he turns into an impact player in fantasy, but it's not that right now. Yeah, I was going to say, the plate discipline to me looks fine. 25%, 24% K rate, 10% walk rate, and his distribution of batted ball events, it looks fine to me. 25% line drive rate, 38% ground balls, 36% fly ball rate. That looks fine. He's just not impacting the ball all that hard. He's like his average exit velocity, his hard hit rate is is not good for Dylan Carlson. So I'm not going to write him off. He's 22 years old, but for this season, I'm not sure that it's going to happen. So uh, we'll see, hopefully in the future. And I, I forgot who said it earlier this season. I think it was Craig Council, but there was a manager who said that this is the hardest jump for players from triple A to the majors ever. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you can compare it to like whatever, however many decades ago. But I, I think there was, you know, there was something to be said for for a quote like that. So, not having a minor league season last year, we are mm-hmm. not going to know how that is going to affect the development of players for yeah. for years from now. I mean, you know, it could be five, ten years when we look back on this and we say, "Wow, remember that stretch of like two or three years where prospects came up and they just really didn't do much and." I yeah. think losing out on an entire year of development and playing actual minor league games. It and, can, and that's can why I'm that. not sure whether it's just a short-term phenomenon or, or a real um, paradigm shift, I guess, is is because of that that major variable that's influencing the results. What, what makes me skeptical is that about that being all it is, just the fact there was no minor league season, is that, a lot of these prospects are still dominating in the minors. If they were really that rusty, it seemed like they'd be having trouble down there too. Uh, Waiver wire starting pitchers. We've already talked about a lot of these guys, Kim Montgomery, Alzali just have to ask Andrew Heaney up against the twins on Thursday, seven innings, two runs, seven strikeouts. He's in line for two starts next week versus the Rockies and versus the A's both come at home. 55% rostered. Any interest, Scott? No, still a 5.32 ERA. Yeah, that's we know he we know he has starts where he misses a lot of bats sometimes, but not reliable. In deeper leagues, we saw Cal Quantrill with a quality start up against Tampa Bay, six innings, one run, 
three walks to two strikeouts, 3.84 ERA, 4.88 XFIP, so not overly exciting. Uh, Luis Patino was at Cleveland. He returned to the majors for Tampa Bay. Five and a third, four runs, three walks, four strikeouts. And then Tanner Houck started the game for the Yankees. His start got cut a little bit short because they went into a rain delay. He didn't come back out afterwards. Four and two-thirds, two hits, one unearned run, two walks, eight strikeouts for Tanner Houck. Any interest in any of these players, Scott? Cal Quantrill, Luis Patino, Tanner Houck. More so for deeper leagues. I mean, Patino has a lot of upside, but in in a shallower league, I'm not moved to pick him up yet. He needs to deliver on it uh, for a couple starts in a row before that happens. Houck... What impressed down the stretch last year, and he's not a prospect of the caliber of Luis Patino. I mean, kind of a limited arsenal, uh, really good slider. The thing is, he wasn't, and, and I think he'd been injured, but even at AAA this year, he wasn't doing much in ERA over five. He didn't, he didn't go five innings in any of his appearances down there. He needs to do a lot more than this to compel me to add him. Call to the pen, some bullpen updates for the Tigers. Gregory Soto now has three saves in the last three days. He's 34% rostered. I'm not so sure, Scott, that when Michael Fulmer returns, he just jumps right back into the closer role. Gregory Soto has been has been pretty good recently. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I mean, who can be sure how AJ Hinch <laughs> is going to handle things? There's been so sure. little consistency to it all year long. But he, uh, Gregory Soto... Yeah, three consecutive days with a save, as you mentioned, and f- the last five saves for the Tigers. So that's as good a run as any of their relievers have gone on this year. For the Cardinals, Alex Reyes got his 23rd save of the season for Cleveland. Emmanuel Class A was used in the eighth inning. James Karinczak came in in the ninth. He allowed two runs and took his third blown save of the season. So I wonder, does Class A get the next save op? Let's see what happens. For Tampa Bay, Pete Fairbanks was used in the ninth inning with the game tied. Diego Castillo was used in extra innings once they grabbed the lead, picked up his 14th save of the season. Rysel Iglesias got his 20th save. The Yankees, Aroldis Chapman, was unavailable. Chad Green gave up two earned runs in the ninth. Some scrub pitched in the 10th, and he was awful. So I I don't even remember his name. I don't want to talk about it. For the... (laughs) For the Dodgers, I just saw something something big happen in this one. Kenley Jansen comes in in the ninth, only records two outs, four hits, four runs, two walks, blows the save, takes the loss, his fourth loss of the season. Jake McGee then comes in the, in the ninth, locks down his 20th save. So is that a, is that a four-game sweep? I don't, I don't know exactly, but it feels like the Giants have had a save each of the past four games. Maybe it's three out of four. But Tyler Rogers was used yesterday. Jake McGee had been used the two days before that, and then Jake McGee used here. They're still kind of mixing and matching. We thought we were getting closer to just Jake McGee being the guy, but I still think more often or more often than not, it will be him, but it's Kapler, yeah. so you never know. Yeah, he just needed a day off yesterday, right? Yeah, he, he had pitched two days in a row before that, before yesterday. Yeah. Uh, currently going on in Oakland, Lou Trevino is in for the save in a 4-1 to game, runner on first. He's got a three-run lead, so I'll let you know if anything crazy happens there. To stream or not to stream, we'll start with Friday. Zach Davies up against the Diamondbacks. David Price versus the Rockies. Johnny Cueto versus the Pirates. Zach Thompson versus the Padres. Willie Peralta at the Kansas City Royals. And Alex Cobb at the Twins. 
Well, you know, I love Zach Thompson. I don't think that that Padres matchup is going to scare me away. David Price with, you know, going against the Rockies on the road. He's not really stretched out yet. He went four innings last time, but the plan is to stretch him out, make him a conventional starter again. So maybe he goes five and can get a win with that easy matchup. And Alex Cobb at Minnesota, the 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 um, Nelson Cruzless Minnesota Twins. I, I like all three of those legitimately: Thompson, Price, and Cobb. For Saturday, Ryan Weathers at the Marlins, Merrill Kelly at the Cubs, Alec Mills versus the Diamondbacks, Patrick Sandoval at the Twins, Kyle Freeland at the Dodgers, Rich Hill at Cleveland. Good luck, Scott. Yeah, this is more <laughs> our usual fare for the streamer pitchers <laughs> segment. Uh, Patrick Sandoval, uh, the Twins are still good against lefties, right? But now minus Nelson Cruz. Uh, I don't know whether he was good against lefties or not, presumably. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Sandoval I could see doing, but the rest I really couldn't. I really couldn't. Merrill Kelly, if you're feeling gutsy. Mm. But I'd rather not. Yeah, this is pretty bad. I'm guessing Chris Bryant won't be in the lineup for the Cubs, but yeah, that's... That's still pretty rough. For Sunday, we have Josiah Gray versus the Rockies. By the way, that is Gray versus Gray. John Gray versus Josiah Gray. So oh. Fun little matchup there. Tuki Tucson at the Phillies. Ryan Yarbrough at Cleveland. Tristan McKenzie versus Tampa Bay. Caleb Smith at the Cubs. JT Brubaker at the Giants. This list is not as bad as the last one, but still not very inspiring. We're done with Brubaker, by the way. I'm done with Brubaker. It's over. It's over, JT. Give it up. No, his ground ball rate's way down since April, so no reason to mess with him anymore. Uh, Who should we mess with? Gosh. Uh, (laughs) I think the only one I could kind of get excited about is Josiah Gray, uh who's facing the Rockies on the road. Yeah, but... You could definitely see that going very wrong. You wonder if there's any chance he goes beyond five innings. I don't know. Uh, Tuki Toussaint could come through again, but that's just a total toss-up. Just not even a toss-up. It's just, I don't know, a roll of the die, I guess. <laughs> that's, yeah, you're less likely. You're less likely to get a favorable roll than a favorable coin flip. So let's go with that one instead. Scott, did you realize that you quoted Britney Spears earlier in the podcast? And yeah. just now you said it's over, JT. You're, you're not. Oh. You're not, that Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Look at you. Okay. That was not intentional. <laughs> not intentional. So you're not just. The first one was intentional. Okay. All right. Good to know. Let's wrap up here with some uh, fantasy justice for all, as we like to do on a Friday. Hey guys, longtime listener Jeff here. I need help. I'm in a 15 team Dynasty Roto with 50 total players. Standard roster with basic categories plus saves and holds. Single catcher. The commissioner himself just made a trade where he got Kevin Gosman straight up for Max Stassi. And the guy who ridiculously traded Gosman also just dropped Ronald Acuna Jr. into the waiver wire. I posted this message in the league forum. What is going on? Okay, first trade just made should not be allowed. Gosman, who is the third overall pitcher this year for a mediocre catcher, and then Acuna just dropped into waivers. 
WTF is going on. I will leave the league if this isn't <laughs> fixed, but that would totally suck because I'm in first place by a mile. I've worked really hard on building my team, not only for this year, but for future years to come. What should I do? Yeah, originally I read this and I was like, well, Ron Lacuna is out for the year, but it's a dynasty league with 50 total players. So 15 teams, 50 total players. Yeah, obviously. How many is that? 750 players rostered. You're probably better at math than I am. So that's basically as deep as the Scott White Dynasty League. No, yeah, or is it deeper? Anyway, um, it's deep. It's 750 it's players. Wow, look at you. I, I mean, the only way it could make sense is if you're keeping these guys at disparate values. So you know, Max Stassi's a really cheap keeper. Gosman, an expensive keeper. Maybe Acuna's salary had gotten to where he was too expensive to keep, but since you're not indicating that in the email, I assume that's not the case. They're all being kept on equal terms. I can't imagine a round value that still justifies Kevin Gosman for Max Stassi. Even if it's a first-round yeah. Kevin Gosman for a 50th-round Max Stassi, I still don't think that that's a fair trade. It's not good, no. No, it's in, not. Any way you slice it. Um, gosh. We've heard about bad trades, but... I mean, this is this is really bad. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what you can do. Surely you're not the only one of the 15 people in the league who feels this way. I, yeah. I mean, it, the design of the league is, you know, it sounds like a pretty hardcore league. Like you didn't, you know, you're th- this is not this is not a novice setup here. So you're you're probably not the only one who's upset and i'm sure enough of a stink could be raised to to get to the bottom of what happened here um uh, so i have faith in that but you know if that doesn't happen if 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 that doesn't happen then the league's a joke and i don't think you should invest any more time in it sometimes you just have to pull the plug yeah and no i mean it's just sad when stuff like that happens too right i mean especially for jeff here who sounds like he's put the work in he's built this team up he's in first place and it's not easy to be in first place in a 15-team Roto League, let, let alone a 15-team Dynasty Roto. So there's a lot of work that goes into that. So I understand your frustration here, Jeff. If your league mates are not paying attention or don't care enough to cause a ruckus about this, then this is not a league that you should be invested in. I agree with Scott. So uh, hopefully you win and you take it down and you can kind of leave on your own terms with, with a W. But man... That sucks. And that's what I would say to anybody who plays in a league where bogus trades like this go down. Um, they, they just shouldn't exist. All right. I believe that justice has been served. Yeah, yeah, for Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. 
The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.